listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Every quarter, our equity research team releases the best of BMO, which is a compilation of our broad macro views as well as our best stock ideas for the next 12 months. Essentially, it's an idea book. I am Camilla Sutton, MD in Equity Research, and today we run you through six of those ideas. Accordingly, I'm pleased to be joined by my colleagues, Randy Olenberger, oil and gas analyst, Jackie Prebalowski, metals and mining analyst, Fadi Shamoon, transportation analyst, Peter Sklar, consumer analyst, Tom McKinnon, insurance analyst, Thanos Moshopoulos, technology analyst, who will each run us through their best of BMO idea. Randy, let's kick it off with you. What is your best of BMO idea in the energy sector? Synovus is our top pick in the oil and gas sector amongst the large cap Canadian stocks. We've got it rated outperform with a target price of $26. Really have three reasons why we like this stock. Firstly, is just the valuation. On an absolute basis, we are carrying a 1P net asset value of $33 and a 2P net asset value of $35. Uh, that is well above where the stock is currently trading, which is around $18 or so. We also like it relative to its peers. It's currently trading at an EV to EBITDA multiple of 3.3 times, which is below the peer group average of 4.2 times. Uh, that despite the fact that it's yielding on a free cash flow basis, about 20%, which is similar to the peer average. And debt levels and returns on capital are also in line with the peer average. So the discount really isn't warranted in our opinion. The second is the rate of change. And this really just reflects the leverage to crude oil prices. Sonovus is the third largest oil producer in Canada and the largest heavy oil producer. We are quite bullish on oil prices and heavy oil prices in particular. And Sonovus's cash flow changes rapidly with changes in oil prices, particularly heavy oil. So we continue to like the stock on the basis that they are deleveraging faster than most people expect, just on the basis of the free cash flow that they're generating, which we estimate is around 2 to $2.5 billion per quarter, depending on your oil price assumptions. So the company is reaching its debt targets much faster than people expect. And that really brings us to the third reason we like the stock, which is it is best positioned to accelerate cash returns to shareholders. So Synovus introduced its share buyback program in the fourth quarter, and they are currently buying back shares, and that is helping offset the sale of the Conoco block in the company, which we expect to be done by the end of April. So once the Conoco sale is done, we really expect to see better share price performance out of Synovus because they are going to be in the market buying their shares and not really have that big block sale offsetting that. We also see the ability here for them to increase the size of the buyback as well as grow the dividend. The company's estimated that they can increase the dividend by a factor of four times without really materially changing their cost structure. So we really like the fact that they can accelerate returns to shareholders much more aggressively than many of their peers. So overall, we like the stock. We think it is going to continue to perform well. We think the stock is discounting an oil price probably in the range of about $55 today. So even as oil prices are a little under a little bit of pressure uh, on the prospect of perhaps peace in the Ukraine or incremental sources of supply, the stock is discounting an oil price well below where we expect oil prices to settle out, which is in the range of $75 to $85. So it is our top pick amongst the Canadian large cap players and best positioned, in our opinion, to accelerate cash returns to shareholders. 
Jackie, moving to mining, can you walk us through the Best of BMO idea? Thanks, Camilla. Our Best of BMO recommendations in the senior Canadian and U.S. metals and mining sector are Igneco Eagle in precious metals and tech resources in basin bulks. In this podcast, I want to focus on Igneco Eagle. I like this name for three reasons. Gold is topical today. We like Igneco Eagle's asset portfolio and the valuation is attractive. First, gold and gold equities are topical today as gold and other safe haven hard assets are increasingly attractive in light of current and potentially escalating global geopolitical risks. We can't tell you what the outcome of the Russia-Ukraine conflict will be or how long it will last, but my view is that risk today tips towards escalation and escalation, however negative this is for global stability in general, is positive for gold commodity prices. Igneco Eagle is not one of the highest leveraged gold miners that we cover. This is a function of its relatively attractive cost profile and balance sheet, as well as its large size and base of stable production. However, the company will absolutely still benefit from higher commodity prices, not only through higher revenues and cash flows, but also because higher commodity prices can attract new investors and funds flow into the sector, and that can provide positive momentum to the Igneco Eagle share price. The second reason we like Igneco Eagle is because we like its asset portfolio. Igneco Eagle completed a merger with Kirkland Lake in February 2022, and the result is a large, diversified miner with assets concentrated in Tier 1 stable, low-risk, developed economies, including Canada, Australia, Finland, and Mexico. For investors who are cautious of rising tax and royalty regimes and uncertainty around asset title and ownership, Igneco Eagle is relatively unique with its low risk exposure. The downside might be higher cost inflation, including labor cost inflation, but Igneco Eagle is working hard to mitigate this through investment in technology and other efficiency improvements. Also, a note on the asset portfolio, Igneco Eagle has a great mix of mature, stable, cash flow producing mines and growth assets. Mining is a depleting asset business and reinvestment is necessary. Mining companies generally replace mined or either by extending the life of existing mines, building new mines, or acquiring new operations through M&A. Mine life extension or organic growth are generally low-cost growth options, especially when the projects are low-risk and the companies have track records of execution, which is the case with Igneco Eagle and Kirkland Lake growth properties. Igneco Eagle is especially attractive after the merger because synergies with existing assets between the two companies likely makes growth even more profitable. The best example of this is Igneco Eagle's amalgamated Kirkland project, which is just meters away from Kirkland Lake's existing Macasa operations and the Holt Mill. The third reason we like Igneco Eagle, we view the company as attractively priced today. We saw significant selling pressure on this name through December 2021, which we believe can be attributed to resource funds or other large holders trimming or selling their positions in one or both names to avoid portfolio concentration limits, and that's on anticipation of the merger closing, or because the new merged company no longer fit the fund's initial investment criteria. We also saw selling pressure or a reluctance to buy ahead of Q4 2021 earnings release in February on expectation that the new Igneco Eagle would release conservative or even disappointing 2022 production and cost guidance. Now that these short-term issues have been resolved, we have started to see investor interest pick up. 
We know that because the company disclosed that Q1 is planning to be the weakest quarter of 2022, and so we do still expect to see some risk in the short term on timing, although we do believe that downside risk is largely known and will be made up in the balance of the year. In our view, Ignico Eagle trades at a significant discount relative to its former trading range. The stock traded at over nine times consensus next 12 months EV to EBITDA in May and June 2021 and is now around 5.5 times, although that is up from below five times through much of February. We would expect a re-rating back to its past premium level or even beyond this level as it is now a larger, more liquid, more relevant company with attractive synergies to be realized and attractive growth projects to be built. Our one-year target is U.S. $88 per share. At the time of this recording, on March 15, 2022, this implies a 51% return. Agnico Eagle is rated outperform, and it is a best of BMO pick. Fatty, interesting times in transportation. What is your best of BMO idea? Thank you, Camilla. Air Canada continues to be one of our best investment ideas in transportation for an investment horizon of one to three years. I have six key points to make. One, strong pent-up demand for travel. We have seen five-fold increase in traffic in Q4 of 21 versus Q1 of 21, and the momentum has continued into the first quarter of 2022. This is despite the significant negative impact of travel restriction that we have seen this quarter due to Omicron. Based on our preliminary estimates, traffic is slated to more than double by the third quarter of 2022 from current levels. Second point, the war in Eastern Europe could affect the velocity of the travel recovery. But unless the conflict worsens, we suspect the recovery will continue to progress. Booking data into the second quarter of this year still look very encouraging, with Air Canada tracking to fly over two-thirds of pre-COVID capacity level. That's about a 50% increase in capacity in Q2 versus Q1. Third point, oil prices are likely to have an impact on immediate profitability levels, and the resulting higher fares could also affect the pace of recovery, but the trajectory remains positive. Moreover, we find that yield performance has been strong for the two Canadian airlines, and they are exhibiting very strong pricing power. In fact, Despite that 50% increase in capacity in Q2 versus Q1, yields continue to strengthen when compared to pre-COVID levels. Point number four, we believe that Air Canada has structurally reduced its cost during the pandemic and should be able to operate at 5 to 10% lower unit cost compared to pre-pandemic levels. Point number five, the competitive landscape is generally favorable. Air Canada's main Canadian competitor is recommitting to the value end of the market and is focused on restoring profitability under the new owner. This will leave Air Canada firmly in a leadership position, including in international segment and high-yielding traffic. We believe that WestJet planned acquisition of Sunwing vacation improved the industry structure and raised the barriers for new entrants. Point number six, Air Canada has modernized its aircraft fleet during the pandemic, retiring older and less fuel-efficient aircraft, and replaced them with next-generation ones, which should help improve cost, customer service, and more importantly, limit capital spending requirement for the next several years. 
we believe that Air Canada could lower net debt by over $3 billion over the next three years. The bottom line, while the conflict in Eastern Europe could impact the velocity of the recovery in demand, the company is well positioned to improve operating margin above pre-pandemic levels, generate significant cash flow and reduce debt over the coming three years, supporting significant upside in the share price from current level. Our target on Air Canada is 35, based on 2023 forecast, but with upside to over 50 on fiscal 2025. Thank you. Peter, in the consumer space, what is your best of BMO idea? Thanks, Camilla. And this is Peter Sklar. I am the consumer staples and discretionary analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And our top pick today is Dollarama. Obviously, a blue chip Canadian consumer stock that has outperformed over many, many years. But there's three reasons why it's our top pick today. First, on the Ukraine-Russian conflict, I pretty much can't think of a name that is as isolated as Dollarama among the universe of stocks that I, that I cover. They source all their product from Asia and North America, and all their sales are done here domestically in Canada, as well as in Latin America through their investment in a Latin American dollar store chain called Dollar City. So no procurement from Eastern Europe and no sales in Eastern Europe. The second reason is I can't think of a stock that we cover that's going to be able to navigate through this period of inflation that we're going to see over the next year. First of all, most dollar stores operate with a fixed price point. Uniquely, Dollarama has a multi-price point strategy. So they are able to move SKUs up to higher price points. And so if they move something up by 25 to 50 cents in terms of price point, that is a percentage increase in price of 20 to 33%. Another reason is the high proportion of private label SKUs as opposed to branded SKUs. And that allows them to adjust format sizes. So if Dollarama is selling you a package of pencils that typically has 10 pencils in it, because their cost of goods sold inflation is, is going up, they can reduce that package size to eight pencils, which gives them a 20% price decrease. Another area that I think benefits them is Dollarama's basket sizes are relatively small. Let's say 10 to, 12, 10 to $15 is a typical basket size at Dollarama versus say many baskets at Canadian Tire would be over $100. So if you put through a 5% price increase on your average basket, let's say a $10 basket, the consumer's paying 50 cents more per basket. I don't think the consumer really notices 50 cents. Whereas Canadian Tire, where you're dealing with basket sizes, many of which are $100, there a 5% price increase is $5 out of the consumer's wallet. That the consumer might notice. A small basket size, I don't think the consumer really notices paying an extra 50 cents at Dollarama. Another reason why we like it is during periods of inflation, consumers' wallets are squeezed. And Dollarama has a long-standing reputation offering a compelling value proposition to consumers. So consumers will flock to Dollarama during periods of stress. And um, Dollarama has the lower price points and the lower baskets that they are looking for. And the last thing I would point out just on this whole discussion about inflation is inflation increases the probability that Dollarama will move to higher price points. Uh, Dollarama's highest price point currently is $4. And they've been at that high price point for many years. 
with inflation, I can see them moving to $450 and $5 price points. And that has obvious benefits in terms of increasing the basket size. So just in summary, I've talked about the two reasons why we like Dollarama. Minimal exposure to the Ukrainian-Russian conflict and well-positioned to cope with inflationary cost pressures. And lastly, I just wanted to comment on valuation. Uh, Dollarama currently is at about 17 times forward EBITDA. Over the last five years, the valuation range has generally been 14 to 18 times and as at moments has spiked up to 20 times. So there is room for valuation to move up. So that's uh, our discussion for today. And Dollarama is our top pick. Tom, enlighten us on what company in the insurance sector is your best of BMO idea. Manulife remains our top pick amongst the Canadian Life Coast. Its valuation is just too attractive to ignore. At seven times core earnings versus a nine and a half times average since the great financial crisis, and 95% of book value versus 1.15 times average since the great financial crisis, with a much better core ROE, now in the 13% range, better than the 10 to 11 is average since the financial crisis, and an attractive 5.2% dividend yield, we see lots of potential upside with limited downside. Fundamentals are strong. This is not the stock it was during the 2008 great financial crisis, and the fact that the market still treats it at as such, represents an opportunity. Its balance sheet and excess capital position is strong with $10 billion in excess capital, generating at least $2 billion in excess capital annually. It's been consistently a high single-digit, low double-digit core EPS grower. In fact, that's been an 11% CAGR over the last five years, consistent with their 10 to 12% medium-term target. And it's been able to grow its dividends commensurate with that earnings growth. It's well-positioned in Asia which represents 40% of earnings as it's been growing at a 15% clip, where insurance and wealth product penetration is expected to continue in, to increase as the Asian middle class continues to rapidly expand. Now, people talk about its legacy business as being an overhang. The proportion of core earnings from long-term care and variable annuities, including the earnings associated with the capital that's allocated to back these businesses, has declined from 25% to 20% of the company's total core earnings, with the company target now having this to be 15% by 2025 through organic means, or less than 10% through inorganic means as well. The ROE on this legacy business is 10%, certainly nowhere near the negative value the street is giving it. Long-term care reserves are multiples of those of its U.S. peers, with over $10 billion in provisions for adverse deviations, essentially Unearned profits on this block that will flow into earnings over time as this runoff block business unwinds. And for those of you who still think long-term care business is inadequately reserved for, we point out the fact that the cumulative reserve builds for strengthening of assumptions for the runoff long-term care business of manual life have amounted to less than 1% of the book value cumulatively over the last 10 years. Finally, Those who talk about uncertainty as we move into IFRS 17, which is effective in January 2023, we point out that while book value will decline as a result of the all-important contractual service margin, which houses a good chunk of the future unearned profits on on manualized business now being a liability, the more important excess capital and the excess capital generation will not change, as OSFI counts the CSM as available capital. Just a reminder, IFRS 17 is just accounting. 
Capital is king, and that does not change. We expect Manulife to continue delivering its 10 to 12% core EPS medium-term uh, growth targets. Sensitivities of regulatory capital, the swings in interest rates and equity markets, are running at fractions of what they were during the great financial crisis. Its valuation, as mentioned, is very attractive, some 25% below what it's averaged since the great financial crisis. Uh, continued deployment of freed up capital from legacy businesses through either share buybacks and or dividend increases remains a key catalyst. Thanos, we've saved you for last. What is the best of BMO idea in your technology coverage universe? Thanks, Camilla. So Lightspeed is one of the largest providers of cloud-based software used by small and mid-sized retailers and restaurants to run their businesses. This is our best of BMO pick because we see a very large disconnect between the strong growth of the business and the stock's suppressed valuation. And so if we look at Lightspeed's recent performance as a business, they've had north of 40% year-over-year organic revenue growth in each of the last few quarters, actually 74% growth last quarter. They've consistently raised their annual revenue guidance, and they're guiding for a 35 to 40% growth rate over the medium term. Now, despite those positives, the stock is down 85% over the last six months, and that's because its forward multiple has gone from 26 times sales now down to just three times sales. Part of that's clearly been due to the overall correction we've seen in uh, growth stocks over the last few weeks. Uh, but that said, Lightspeed's been hit a lot harder than most, and its valuation is now well below its peers. We think a key reason for that is that the market has become very apprehensive about the fact that Lightspeed is unprofitable, especially given that we're now in a risk-off sort of world. But what we think the market's missing is that Lightspeed's path to profitability is very clear. We see them being profitable in the second half of calendar 2023, which isn't all that far away. And we see that being driven by the ongoing growth in its customer base and by the ongoing ramp in Lightspeed payments. So drilling into that, the premise here is that there's millions of small businesses out there that are still using old, outdated point-of-sale systems. They're increasingly realizing that they need to adopt something like a Lightspeed to enable things like e-commerce, customer loyalty programs, and business analytics. Lightspeed's one of the largest vendors targeting that market, and we think it has tremendous runway in that regard. There's also a reopening angle because the first thing that any new small business needs when they're setting up shop is, you know, a system like this. So think about all the new restaurants that are being formed as the world reopens. Now, Lightspeed's in a competitive market, to be clear, but it's not like they're trying to go head on against someone like a Shopify. Lightspeed's focused on specific market segments and verticals. And within those, we think it has a highly competitive solution. Now, as far as payments, uh, the story there is that roughly 80 billion of annual transaction volume is currently flowing through Lightspeed software, and 11% of that is currently being processed by Lightspeed payments, which means that Lightspeed's getting a piece of the action. Now, we know that most of the new customers who are coming to Lightspeed for the first time are signing up for Lightspeed payments, and that in turn means that that 11% penetration rate for payments is inevitably going to trend to north of 50% over time. So if you do the math on that, uh, that translates into hundreds of millions of incremental revenue, which in turn should have a huge impact on the bottom line. So what I'd really emphasize here is that we don't see any issues with respect to Lightspeed solvency or with respect to the viability of their business model. It's being valued like a broken business, but from our perspective, the economics of the business makes sense. They're following the same path that many successful growth companies before them have followed. And so over the coming quarters, we expect to see consistent strength in their organic revenue growth and diminishing losses as they march down that path towards profitability. This has clearly been a volatile stock. It'll probably remain volatile in the near term. But looking at longer term, we see significant upside given what the current valuation is like, given their underlying growth rate, and given that in our view, this is a better and healthier business than the market seems to be recognizing. And we think that will become 
more apparent over time. So that's what makes it our best BMO pick. Thank you, Randy, Jackie, Fatty, Peter, Tom, and Thanos for joining me today. BMO Capital Markets is proud to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming equity research trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions through both this in tune podcast as well as our commodity specific Metal Matters, hosted by Colin Hamilton. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.